you know, I saw uh, multiple news organizations carried this, uh, not, not the main ones but, that I saw, but I'm just informing you that our government can officially call you a terrorist threat if you share what they believe to be misleading narratives which sow discord or undermine public trust in U.S. institutions. So this is going to be what the government deems as inappropriate. And the exact words on Homeland Security website, the pro proliferation of false or misleading narratives which sow discord or undermine public trust in U.S. institutions. And I emphasize what they think is misleading narratives. White House Secretary Jim Psaki's statement on Tuesday backed it all up. I'm just quoting her, okay? Direct, directing big tech and Spotify to do more to eradicate alleged COVID misinformation on the Joe Rogan podcast experience. Um, this guy got in trouble because he was asking some questions that the, the government didn't, didn't like him to, uh, to be asking. And um, I'm not, he's not, I don't think he's even a Christian, but he had 4 million view, views a day. He's the most watched entertainment on a daily basis in the world. So he had a big pull. They didn't like the questions he was asking. And this does suggest that the future of the First Amendment <laughs> could possibly be in jeopardy. It, 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 with this little law, and um, maybe, maybe the, the pulpits never will get a chance to speak out, because I really don't know many of them that are, but what it's saying is a representative of a ruling party dictating to a private company what content is accurate and what is not, okay, is a clear sign that the U.S. government is embracing censorship. Isaiah 62, 6, I've set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day or night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. The church is here to hold back evil. But you can't hold it back if you don't even know what's going on. Right? And, Dan, you know, I, Daniel 3, 1 Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits, the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Can you hear me okay that I'm not yelling? I, just, I know it seems... Okay. <laughs> All right. We talked about the Septuagint extensively a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to talk about what all that is and uh, what all is, but according to the Septuagint, which is very accurate, Nebuchadnezzar built the image of gold in the 18th year of his reign. That was about a year before he burned Jerusalem, and that was in 586 BC on the third siege of Jerusalem. Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego at that time had been in Babylon almost 20 years. Because remember, it took three sieges. We've talked about this. Siege number one, they took a few out, like 10,000 Jews, and then the Jews rebelled, and Nebuchadnezzar had to go back in there, besiege it again, okay? And by the third time, they just completely destroyed the city. And so um, Daniel and them were taken out and after the first siege. The erection of this image was approximately 15 to 16 years 
after the events of the dream and its interpretation that we talked about last week in chapter 2. You know, in Daniel 3.1, the phrase Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. Many scholars are of the belief that the image was of a phallus, i.e. a man's reproductive organ. Okay? The, 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 what the, the giant image that he made. And if it really was a phallus, it just adds to the darkness of this form of idolatry because they're worshiping the phallus to represent the life giver. And what I'm talking about is a feature that characterizes the dominion of man in earth going from Nebuchadnezzar all the way to the Antichrist. And so where you see God disowned by the Gentile or Gentile civilizations, but then in the, within those civilizations, acknowledged by small groups of believers in Christ, and a lot of times they're suffering, you know, i.e. Rome. Look what happened in Rome. And you see these moral features start to reappear. You will, I'm telling you, you will, vividly during the final and future days of Gentile government, all right? And God will allow his faithful witnesses during the time of the coming tribulation, which we will not be here for, all right? Um, the people that think we're going to have to stay through the tribu- tribulation, I've looked at the, the verses that think. Um, I did a, a, a series a few years ago, signs, uh, events, and prophecies of the end times, and I'm telling you, um, they don't have a leg to stand on, all right? If they're telling you that we're going to have to all go through these seven years and, um, and, and, and die on the guillotine because we won't take the mark. It's, it's, it's not what the Bible says. They don't have scriptural backup, very, very, very little compared to the other point of view as we are going before all this stuff. I believe the Bible is very clear. See, this is not about... Fear, but the, the, the one thing is I, I, I just don't want anyone left behind. I want you to understand, and if you are left behind, what not to do, right? And, and because I hear preachers like Joseph Prince, who I really respect, say he thinks 90% of the church is going, but I hear other churches that think only one-fourth is going, and we don't know what that is, right? We, we just, we can't, we don't know what that is, how many are going. And so, but God will allow faithful witnesses during the time of the coming tribulation, will not be here, um, typified by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just like them, the believers in the tribulation will be cast into their own type of fiery furnace, which is a guillotine. And God will glorify those saints, but it won't be until they get to heaven. And this will be uh, what happens, Revelation 13, with those saints. Okay, verse 4, they fell down, paid homage to the dragon, because he had destroyed, bestowed on the beast all his dominion and authority. And they also praised and worshipped the beast, exclaiming, who is a match for the beast? Who can make war against him? Can everyone hear me? Okay, all right, because I'm not, I'm just, I'm not used to trying to be this subdued. I'm telling you, it's hard, 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 hard. hard. My voice went a little bit in the nine. Okay, so I'm just trying to save it. Okay, verse five, and the beast was given the power of speech, 
uttering boastful and blasphemous words. And he was given wisdom to exert his authority and to exercise his will during the 42 months. That's the last three and a half years. That's when the, of, of the seven-year tribulation. That's when the world realizes this guy is not so nice. Okay? And in and, and, and six, verse 6, he opened his mouth to speak slanders against God, blaspheming his name and his abode, even vilifying those who live in heaven. Verse 7, he was further permitted to wage war on God's holy people, the saints. See, there's going to be saints down here. Either people that realize what just happened, oh, gee, it wasn't a giant alien abduction, and that's not why millions are gone, right? Or they're going to realize, they're going to know what happened, and they're going to say, well, I am not getting the mark, right? And, and so what happens is he wages war on them, and it says he overcomes them, all right? And power was given to him to extend his authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation, Verse 8, and all the inhabitants of the earth. Okay, that's a pretty general. I hear people say, oh, it's only the ten kingdoms. All the inhabitants of the earth, all right, will fall down in adoration. I'm just telling you what it says, in adoration and pay homage. Pay him homage. Everyone whose name has not been recorded in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain and sacrificed from the foundation of the world. Revelation 24. Then I, this is John. You serious? You can't hear me? This is John. She's kidding. Don't mess with me. People are messing me. Messing with me out there. They're going like this. You can hear me, right? Can you hear me? I feel like I'm whispering. This, this is not the Jim Hammond you're used to. So this is John's rendition of in this vision. He saw a throne sitting on them were those to whom authority to act as judges. Revelation 24, to pass sentence. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been slain with axes. All right, he put in axes there, but they had lost their heads. I believe it will be an guillotine. And, and for their witnessing to, to Jesus and for preaching and testifying for the word of God and all those who refused to pay homage to the beast or his statue and had not accepted his mark or permitted to be stamped on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived again and ruled with Christ, but this is after they were martyred in the tribulation. And uh, Revelation 6, 11, the white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest for a little season until their fellow servants and their brethren those are the Christians that are still down there in the tribulation that should be killed as they were, okay? Should be fulfilled. I used to think when I was a kid, because the school I was going to in their chapels, was a lot of condemnation preached. And it was just a feeling of you could never, it was actually so much condemnation that I was told by, by a teacher at one point, if you have unconfessed sin in your life and Jesus comes in the rapture, you're gonna be left behind. So we were running around, you know, and Laura, I confessed my sin. I think that was a sin. I confessed that sin. I confessed that sin. And I just got tired of doing it all day, right? And, and, and so I just said, I probably am not going to go. I'm not going to make it. And so I had a plan that when my parents went, I had their bank account numbers, and I was going to steal all my dad's guns, withdraw all their money out of the bank, and head into northern Canada and try to live out the tribulation and hide, right? 
But what this scripture just mean, what just said was no one, none of them are going to live. None of them are going to live that refuse the mark, okay? And I believe this is the scripture that dad believes. If you think you're going to make it through the tribulation without getting the mark and not being killed, that, it, this, that scripture says you're not. You're not. A Swedish startup company has created scannable digital implants that display one's COVID vaccine passport. The technology invents a small grain-sized implant being inserted under the skin, which when the implant is scanned with a smartphone, one's COVID-19 vaccination details and test results can be viewed via PDF. And I, I, I don't, I'd be surprised if this is the mark. We're not going to see the mark. I, I would never put a chip in me anyways, but, but that's going to have to be a choice that you make. All right, that's very clear in the Bible. But I can see even with Elon Musk, you know, with that chip you put in your head that's supposed to heal people, what they're trying to do is just get people real familiar with chips, with things going in their body. So when the real thing comes out, but when the real thing comes out, it'll be very clear. So if we look at the second phase in verse one, um, second phrase, it says, whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits, it presents the image as marked by three sixes. Speaking of 666, 60 cubits high, which is approximately 90 feet, this was a 90-foot idol, six cubits broad, which is nine feet wide, and it was proclaimed by six instruments of music. In verse 7, you'll see that. The reason this is such an interesting chapter here in Daniel 3 is it's because it's, it's so similar to what the false prophet for the Antichrist is doing in the Great Tribulation. In, in Revelation 13, he performs signs, great signs, startling miracles, even making fire fall from the sky to the earth in men's sight. Just because a dude makes fire fall from the sky, that doesn't mean he's real close to Jesus. That doesn't mean that. It's warning you here. Don't fall for every miracle worker that, that comes around. Even, even Jesus said during that time of the tribulation, people are going to be running around saying, are you the Christ? And I'll tell you what, about the Antichrist, a lot of, and now this is my mom's view. She didn't believe this when I, when I started talking to her about it. But evidently, I guess the ladies in France that you support believe it, so now mom believes it. So... <laughs> The, the thing is, is the Jews will never let that guy walk into the temple. Do you understand? And they would never, they, 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 a lot of people believe that Antichrist is going to be of Jewish blood, all right, because of the treaty that is stuck with the Jew, struck with the Jews and the fact that he just walks right into that temple and sits down. And, and so all that put together, uh, that's, we talked about that in the first, first one on, these, on this series. But verse 14, and because of the signs and miracles which he is allowed to perform in the presence of the first beast, he deceives those who inhabit the earth and then commands them to erect a statue, an image in the likeness of the beast who was wounded by the small sword and still lived. Verse 15, and he is permitted to impart the breath of life into the beast's image so that the statue of the beast could actually talk 
and cause to be put to death those who would not bow down and worship the image of the beast. And so many commentators believe this will be the image of the Antichrist that his false prophet sets up and men will be required to worship that image. And so, so this is very, this is a type of what we're going through in Daniel 3. They will worship the last king of Babylon. That is another name for the, the Antichrist. But true believers in that day, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, choose death over worshiping the image, just like believers in the tribulation will. And as we see in verse 1, and I'm really going to get rolling with it here, it says he set you have the phrase, he set it up on the plain of Dura. That places the image on the outskirts of the city of Babylon. To add a little modern-day archaeology in there, a rectangular mound was found in that area. It is 25 feet high, an exact square of about 46 feet at the base. Many scholars believe this is the actual pedestal of Nebuchadnezzar's colossal statue. Some scholars even suggest that this, this archaeological find might be the exact spot where the Tower of Babel was constructed a thousand years before. Wouldn't it be just like the devil to put those two demonic things right in the same spot? Yeah. You know? And so uh, something else that the archaeologists discovered was some cuneiform tablets, which are now kept in a British mu- museum. And they record that there was a revolt in that region in 596 BC. So that means a decade of uh, Nebuchadnezzar within, uh, Nebuchadnezzar arising to power, he had a revolt in his empire, which he put down. But that may have set the scale for this wholesale reaffirmation of swearing of allegiance He's making these people do. And it's very possible that this event that we read about in chapter 3 is Nebuchadnezzar's response to the revolt that happened. And so a lot of this is set up because, remember, there were these, were, these very sorcerers, Chaldeans, magicians, were upstaged by Daniel. You know, this, this soft, melancholy voice I have. It's okay if you sleep. That's okay. It will go into your subconscious. I'm just happy you're at church. Okay? And you can sleep anytime. With me. And now with Mac. Okay. But, but listen, these very sorcerers, Chaldeans, magicians, were upstaged by Daniel in the last chapter. And I think these guys knew that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow down. They knew, they, knew that, they knew these guys wouldn't bow down. So in t- talking about verses 2 and 3, these notables, they, they, they are participating in this, i.e. the captains, the governors, the treasurers, you know, these guys. I think I missed the scripture. Did I miss the scripture? Did I, did I miss 2 and 3? Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent together, together the, the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, the rulers of the, all the provinces to come in dedication of the image. Verse 3 says all those guys, it mentions them all again, basically showed up in front of the image. So everybody's ready to go, all right? And Satan is no doubt moving upon Nebuchadnezzar to consolidate his leadership and demands here not only glorifying the, the gods of Babylon, but in Nebuchadnezzar himself. And that pride gets dealt with 
that we talk about that ne- uh, next Saturday night in Daniel chapter four, which, and, and, you know, and, and, and crazy enough, that Nebuchadnezzar actually writes chapter four all by himself. He's the only Gentile author in the Old Testament, okay? And he puts a decree and sends thousands of guys out on camels and they post them up on trees. So it goes all over the world. Chapter four of Daniel was all over the world. And in the fact that the 90-foot idol Nebuchadnezzar created uh, for them to worship, if it was a phallus, a man's reproductive organ, that particular idol is heavily spoken of in the Bible. Sometimes it's referred to as an Asherah. It is believed that it was originally worshipped as a symbol of the tree of life. It was later perverted in that it referred to a, at least in the worship of idolaters, as this is the origin of life. And this was a common idol back then. You can find that idol in Ezekiel 16, 17. They're speaking of that idol. Uh, the first time this idol is talked about um, is, is Exodus 34, 13, and 14. And just giving you the references. So you can see that the word Asherah is used in Exodus, and it's referring to this type of idol. And it bothered the Lord so much, okay? That it bothered him so much that he revealed his hatred of this particular idol. That's the first time he ever revealed one of his names as just straight up, flat out, jealous. He said, my name is Jealous when they, when they made that idol. And Daniel 3, 4, and 5, um, then a herald cried out to you, it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the, the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king set up. I just want, want you to know, those are the six instruments, six of them, that, that they're the final call here for everybody to fall down and worship. Daniel 3, 6, whosoever falleth down not, doesn't fall down and worship, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning furnace, fiery furnace. I want you to notice, they don't waste any time in the same hour, right? You're going in the furnace. It's more or less saying, if you don't worship this image, it's gonna happen immediately. And so, the main purpose for Satan, and it was included many things, was to kill these three Hebrew children. I just think that, that there's a phrase in 2 Corinthians 6 that says, come out from among them and be ye separate. And it's talking to Christians. And it just feels like that, that time is coming. Even if we're leaving in the rapture, it feels like that time of separation is coming. Daniel 3, 7, therefore at that time when all the people heard the sound of those six instruments and all kinds of music because there were people singing too, all the people, the nations, the languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Notice it says in verse 7, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshiped him. All of it the Im- fell down and worshiped the golden image. It's very obvious that every single person of any note from all the conquered countries at that particular time was brought into Babylon to participate. They had to. Daniel 3.8, wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. That's a key, key phrase. Notice, this isn't something to think about. It's something to think about, accuse the Jews. 
What, what, they would have just said, Shadrach, um, Meshach, and Abednego. No, no, they, they accused the Jews, like a, a people group. And so, and, and, and it, it sounds like from that phrase that this is to all Jews. Many scholars believe there were many more Jews than just the three Hebrews that refused to bow because of that phrase. And evidently, because of the wording, you know, there were others. So there was a lot on the line. And if the Lord had allowed this thing to be carried out, and I'm talking about the three Hebrew young men to be cast into the fiery furnace and then dying, I think it was Satan's plan more than likely because many Jews held important posts and positions in the Babylonian empire due to the influence of Daniel. But I believe Satan was going to kill them all. If, okay, if the three wouldn't have been saved, and I'm just going to say, in case uh, Grandmaster Chief Apostle Dr. James Tan doesn't cover the furnace, they made it. I'm just telling you. Okay, and Jesus showed up in the furnace. All right, so you're off the hook there, buddy. Okay, but, but listen, and most of us know this story, right? And so, but, but Satan wanted to kill them all. All right, and, and I believe this would have happened if he wouldn't have saved the three Hebrew young men, okay? And so Daniel 3, 9, they spake and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Can you imagine that? Just, just every time you address a guy, oh, we hope you live forever. What a day. Oh, Mac, live forever. And then you get your ask question. Thou, O king, hast made a decree. Mac will live forever, by the way. <laughs> has made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the, of the six instruments, okay, all those instruments and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image, all right? Whosoever fall not down and worship that he should be cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Verse 12, there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the fairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded you. They serve not thy, your gods, nor worship the golden image which you set up. So I just want to make something clear. Every Christian should obey the laws of the land. But if such a law is a violation of the word of God, the higher law must be obeyed. And that's the word of God. All right? And there have been times when believers did not Obey the lesser law. You know, in Rome, they, they used to say to the Christians, all you have to do is renounce your God and say that Caesar is God. And we will not put you in the Colosseum in, in, in front of 80,000 people so they can all watch you be devoured by live animals. And they wouldn't. They wouldn't. They wouldn't denounce God as their God and announce Caesar as, as their God. And so... So they refused to bow. These three kids, I mean, they were probably, they weren't kids, they were 40. You know, they were 40 by that time. Daniel was about 40 at this age. I think there's going to become a time where the modern Christian, even before the rapture, must in some way have to refuse to bow. I, 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 I'm just saying refuse to bow now, not inciting anything. Okay, I'm not saying to start anything. I'm just saying there may become a time, and it would not surprise me, where Christians have to refuse to bow. 
the politics and warfare of that period proceeded on the assumption that their gods, their Babylonian gods, directly interfered in the affairs of nations. So the Babylonians believed any slight done to their gods, all right, would be avenged on them, okay, unless it went punished. And so in the minds of these heathen, the gods of Babylon were, were going to wreak vengeance on the entire empire because these people wouldn't bow, Right, So imagine the pressure on these three young men because of the outcome of this without a direct intervention by the Lord would mean they'd lose their lives in a painful manner. Even though the scenario presently is different in this time, it's, 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 not, it's not overt in reality. It's more subtle, but I can hear the six instruments already starting to play. Okay. All these entertainers out there, they got songs about the devil, about worshiping the devil. You know, two of the most popular entertainers in the world. Right now, you could say they are the most popular. They're a couple. Okay? Just did a video with, 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 the, with the, the top person of the Church of Satan. Did the video. Check it out. It's, it, is the, it is the top, number one, whatever they call them, grandmaster of the satanic church, right? And the person is in the video for the whole video, and it's something. In the satanic, uh, in the church of Satan, you have to, you have to at some point promote it. It is one of their requirements. And what, what, a, what a coincidence. You see some of the top entertainments of the top entertainers in the world, at least it looks like they're Satanists, okay? And even, or, or maybe it's just a, it's a, it's a promo thing. I don't know. But even though the scenario presently is different, I feel like that music is starting to play, all right? And I'll, and, and I'll only go so far. Some people might not even know what I'm talking No, I'm not going to go that far. Let's go. Uh, let's go to verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought them forward. Now, just a reminder, these three young men, the Bible says, were in charge of the affairs of the province of Babylon. This meant they were some, kind, some of the most powerful men in the entirety in the domain of the Babylonian Empire, these three young men. And I believe due to their exalted positions and being Jewish, there was great jealousy of them. Remember, they were elevated to high positions of power in the empire because of Daniel. And if you had... If you had stood up on a hill overlooking these proceedings, you would have seen tens of thousands of people standing around this giant image on the plain. The pomp and ceremony would have been elaborate. Remember, this was the mightiest city and the mightiest king in the world. And Nebuchadnezzar, in essence, as a general under his father, conquered the world. He was a phenomenal general. And I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar and his court um, and his family were given a spot close to the image, right? And just like the Antichrist, he'll be very close to that image and all his entourage in the Revelation scene with all the attention of royalty, with every effort made to make this the greatest moment of celebration the world has ever known. After all, he was the head of gold in chapter two. Can't you see this happening in Brussels? 
the celebration. The fiery furnace was close by, right? I mean, there's a living threat there. Um, I'm sure the guillotine, the, the, the highlight of the night, that night for the Antichrist, will be them taking people's heads. They refuse to bow. And, you know, uh, you know I, um, Miley Cyrus will probably be doing the entertainment. I don't know. But, but, the, but the announcement is given. Check out her songs lately. The announcement is given probably in several different languages to fall down and worship the golden image. The words are clear, sharp, and concise, and I bet the furnace was nearby and obvious. And then the vast orchestra, probably accompanied by many singers, starts the music, and you see tens of thousands of people just hit their faces. Imagine the shock when, the, when three did not, when three stood up, and I'm sure at that point they were hustled before the king. Verses 13, 14, and 15, Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do, do not ye serve my gods nor worship the golden image? Verse 15, now if you be ready that at what time you hear the sound of the six instruments and all kinds of music, you fall down. We're going to give you one more chance. Get ready, band, right? You get ready? If you hear it, and if you do, but if you worship not, you shall be cast into the midst, into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? It's almost, it's almost a little sarcasm there. I think it's interesting. He's full of contempt and anger. But I'll tell you this. He was not afraid of Jehovah. And you know why he wasn't? Because he had just conquered Jerusalem. So he's saying, I just conquered their God. Right? What he did, he was told, he's already been told by Daniel in chapter 2, God gave all this to you because you're an instrument of judgment. That's the only reason you have what you have. Okay? And so, you know, he... He did not, because he conquered the, the southern Israel, Judah, I think that's why he was, he was like, come on, bring it, right? And it seems when he's addressing them that he's more acquainted with them than normal, you know? And there's an indication even in that verse that he does not want this to happen to them even, right? And I'm going to wrap this up, right? And, but as I do this, there's, there's something we call... The, the rabbis call remez. It's a signpost. It's a hint to something deeper, uh, what scholars call a type, okay? And we did a little comparison in Daniel 3 to Revelation 13. You could say Nebuchadnezzar is a type of the Antichrist, right? The fiery furnace, um, which Ezekiel 9 in Ephesians, the fiery furnace is a type of, of the tribulation. Okay, and so, you know, in Revelation, this forced worship is suggested by the mark. The mark is Satan's analogy of the seal of the Holy Spirit. See, you know, it says in Ephesians, when we when we bring Jesus into our hearts, our, our, our spirit men are sealed by the Holy Spirit. But this is Satan's seal. The mark, if you take that mark, it is a forever barrier to being saved. That's why it's got to be a choice. It's got to be a choice. But I believe, and most people I deal with believe, we won't have to deal with that because that's post-rapture. 
I'll still never put a chip in my body. The fiery furnace in, in, in Isaiah 43, fire is used as an idiom of the tribulation. If that's true, the furnace, fiery furnace, tribulation, Nebuchadnezzar, Antichrist, the three youths who have their lives saved, they step into that furnace and it doesn't touch them. And, and Jesus shows up in the furnace. Okay? And Nebuchadnezzar sees it. And it was for all to see. And so, but they are the 144,000 Jews that miraculously escape the tribulation. Okay? So, Nebuchadnezzar, Antichrist, fiery furnace, tribulation, three Jews, 144,000 that are saved, the Jews that are saved. The missing element is where's Daniel? We know Daniel wasn't accused because he bowed. He wasn't there. He wouldn't have bowed. We know he wouldn't have bowed because he wouldn't even eat the king's food when he was age 12. All right? We know he wouldn't have bowed. And I don't think they would have exempted him from this. The only other possibility is in historical terms, he was the prime minister. He was number two in command. Most scholars assume he was out of the country on some type of diplomatic mission. Now, this is probably what gave rise to the whole plot. Remember, the Persian Empire was vast. They didn't have planes. They didn't have cars. They had camels and horses. It took the Persian army six months to walk to Greece to attack Greece. So it could take six months to get to the other end of the empire. So Daniel being gone for a period of time allows these guys, sorcerers, magicians, and Chaldeans, to hatch this thing, this plot, to set up the three Jewish young men. The fact that Daniel wasn't there was part of their opportunity because Daniel outranked them all and probably could have talked the king out of this. From a typological point of view, think about this, and, and, and it does match with Revelation. If... Nebuchadnezzar is a type of the Antichrist. The fiery furnace is a type of the tribulation. The three Jewish young men are a type of the 144,000 Jews that make it. Many scholars see Daniel as a type of the believers because they're not even there. They're not even there. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. I'm sorry, I so, took so much time. Grandmaster Dr. Tan, come on up. <laughs> I love you, buddy. I love you. We were preaching in we were preaching in villages. When was that? Two thousand three. That's right. Okay. That's villages. Right. That's why. Right. Look, look what the Lord has done. Yes, thank you, Lord. And you are still laughing at me. <laughs> I I believe that one of the things God's doing in these last days is He's raising up preaching teams. Yeah. I, I believe that. I just got out of a couple of other situations where I had the privilege of preaching with, tag teaming with, you know. And uh, <clears throat> is my voice raspy as well? Am I, or am I just following his vibe of speaking? <laughs> uh, so I, something about the times that you and I live in where God is pulling together the streams of the Spirit. Uh, you all know that I've been, because I've been, I've been talking about it and ha haven't yet written it out yet, that I've been studying about and writing, planning to write about the anointing, the new book, you know. 
And one interesting thing about, one interesting facet about the anointing, when you read over there in Exodus, the anointing oil, is that it is made up of five distinct ingredients. In other words, the anointing oil was not just one item. You had to have the five in the mix. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the five ministry offices over there in Ephesians 4 come together and produce the anointing oil in fullness? Isn't that also a beautiful picture of Psalm 133, that when brethren come together and dwell in unity, something happens. There is a blessing on that. And I think more than ever before, when we understand the times that Pastor Jim is talking about that we're living in, it's necessary for there to be spiritual unity in the body of Christ. Now, spiritual unity is not based on uh, a man-made idea of we got to come together and we got to... No, 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 no. Spiritual unity is, is based on the understanding that at the foot of the cross, all mankind is equal. Spiritual unity is on the basis of, of, of the understanding that in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, all 120 needed the Holy Ghost in the same measure. That's what spiritual unity is, you know. And when you understand that, that God's bringing the streams together, it's, it, it strengthens me to understand that because it emboldens me for the time that we're living in. Because then I recognize that whatever I think I know about Scripture, however much I think I know, it's limited because it's limited by what I can know. And God's limit in, in talking to, to me is not God, but God's limit in talking to me is me because I'm limited and he's not. But when then I also recognize that I am a part of a bigger body of Christ and that the other parts of the body of Christ can all hear different from me and all hear different angles from me. But if we can all come together and hear what God has spoken to us individually and spoken to us independently, we all get the full picture. So it's necessary for this time that we live in. I, I, you, almost, you almost love the picture of the, of the three Hebrew children come together, standing together in the fire, because there was something about them being together in there that caused Jesus to show up. So, and, and of course, they came out of fire. <laughs> I wish I forgot to say it the first service. Or at least I, I don't know. I don't remember all that I said. But something happens when the streams of God come together. Uh, you, you, you could say that in the Old Testament, it was the time, the season of God the Father. Because that's really who all was in there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you could see a season of the Son. But let me tell you, something happened from the book of Acts onward that we're in right now. This is the season of the Spirit. And more than ever before, we have to understand that the season of the Spirit brings together the season of the Son, the season of the Father, it brings it all into one because we're wrapping this thing up. Now, why is it necessary that we have the season of the Spirit, the air of the Spirit, the mood of the Spirit in this time that you and I live in? Why is that important? Because in this season, the Spirit can be poured out on all flesh. You see, in the time of the Old Testament, you had to be a specific type, a specific group to have a covenant with God. But boy, I tell you, in the time that you and I live in, any, whosoever will. And because it's a whosoever will season, it's necessary that the Spirit of God be in the church, us, you and I. It's necessary that the Spirit of God be in the church because that's what keeps the church. Have you noticed that he's called the Holy Spirit? You know why he's called the Holy Spirit? Because what he's in causes him, whatever the Holy Spirit's in causes us to be holy. Just like unclean spirits cause people to be unclean, the Holy Spirit causes us to be holy. I'm, I'm holy by virtue of the fact that the Holy Spirit is on the inside of me. 
Just like, just like people with unclean spirits don't have to get themselves unclean to have an unclean spirit. The, 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 it's the spirit that makes them unclean. Can, can, you, can you understand it that way? But the Holy Spirit on the inside of us makes us holy, ready, acceptable, pleasing to God that way. Now, uh, I started talking about last night how in this, in this move of the Spirit, this season of the Spirit that you and I are in, the Spirit of God is wanting to bring the streams together. And in the same way, the enemy is trying to bring his streams together. He's trying to bring politics and religion. He's trying to bring them together as a, as a force against the church of Jesus Christ. I wanted to turn with me real quick because I, I had this come up to me. Um, I'm thinking about this over there in Acts. I don't know why it was, but my iPad died on me. And I lost all my Bibles while I was sitting there. So I'm thankful for my actual Bible here still. It happens. I was just flipping away and doing something, and then, and then something, something, something happened. And something else happened. I don't know what it was. <laughs> I gave up trying. I thought, you know what? It's okay. I'll just preach without the Bible. I'll make it sound like I'm quoting. They won't know the difference. <laughs> I'll, I'll work it out in there. You found, you found Acts yet? Acts 16, look at this. Acts 16 is a pivotal chapter because in Acts 16, Paul's about to jump into by, 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 by virtue of the Macedonian call. I love that God is still in the business of calling people. And can I tell you that he, he doesn't just call preachers, he calls believers. Hear that. Because in the time that you and I live in, we gotta get out of this, we gotta get out of this thinking that the, that the preachers are the one who do the preaching. No, the preachers are the one that equip the body for the work of the ministry. It's the body that does the preaching, whatever that means. And you preach in more ways than just from behind the pulpit. You know, I like to say it this way. In a sheepfold, the shepherd don't give birth to sheep. It's the sheep that give birth to sheep. Right? And so, and so you, you, God's in this move. Uh, uh, Acts 16. Look at this. Acts 16. Acts 16, and as soon as I find where I'm trying to go with this, I'll tell you. <laughs> and verse 16, 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer <laughs> that a certain girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us. A, uh, the Greek says it's a python spirit. It wraps around, it squeezes the life out of it. It, 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 it chokes it and then it tries to eat. A spirit of python met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. There's witchcraft right there. There's witchcraft right there. There's witchcraft right there. Have, have, have you noticed a surge in that in the world today where witchcraft tried to come back again? Big time. That's witchcraft right there. That's witchcraft right there. Notice what, notice what, what this spirit of Python is trying to do. This girl, now you have to set the context for this. You have to understand that Paul and his crew were new in this region. And what they were trying to do is that they're trying to present uh, the, the gospel. They're trying to establish the church in a place where they were not known. Listen to what this girl did. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God. Now listen, she sounds like she's a Bible school student because what she's saying is right. These men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Listen, she could have graduated third year Bible school because what she's saying is theologically correct. Can I tell you that the time that you and I live in, we have to go beyond just the words people say and go into the spirit by which those words are spoken from? 
And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed. Now, I'm not just talking about you not liking someone and then call that a demon. Because not everyone that you don't like has a demon in them. Right? Some of you seem a little hesitant to say amen on that. <laughs> like you, I'm not sure, maybe. By the way, we have a command to love everyone. We don't have a command to like everyone, though. And love and like, not the same thing, are they? It's the 11 o'clock service, folks. You know how this goes. (laughs) And this she did for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed, did you know that the Holy Spirit doesn't just lead you by peace? Sometimes he leads you by annoyance. And you got to watch for the little things that annoy you. And again, I'm not just talking about things that you don't like, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm talking about beyond that. There is, a, there is a spiritual annoyance that can come up on the inside of you about things and people that ought not be. Doesn't mean that they're wrong. Doesn't mean that they're going to hell. Just means that they might not have to be in your life all the time. It's not about condemning them. It's about protecting you. You see, again, you're seeing the function of the Spirit of God in the end-time church. Why? Because in the end-time church, in the church that you and I are a part of, the, holy, the, the, the enemy isn't just wanting to attack Israel like he did in the Old Testament. He's trying to infiltrate the body of Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, you see almost a type and a shadow of that because they would, have, they would, try, and, they would try and have uh, uh, marriages outside and try and intermingle religions and all that other. But, and that's a type and a shadow. But in the New Testament, what the enemy wanted to try and do is he wanted to try and find his way into the pews and find his way into the board of elders and find his way to where he can say so in the church and dictate how the church ought to move so he can move the church out from away from the Word and away from the Spirit and into the things of the flesh. Now, again, the things of the flesh don't always mean the things of, that are sin. It's means the things that are not of the spirit and as long as the enemy can try and get the church out into the things of the flesh then we will be powerless and have no 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 anything to, to bring the deliverance and the help that the world needs that is uh, that really is our message to give you see that happening right here this this what this little python spirit was trying to do right here it's a little python spirit. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit. Don't you love that he said to the spirit, not said to the girl? See, behind the girl was the spirit. So he wasn't annoyed with the girl, he was annoyed with the spirit. But again, think about this. Think, think about the implication of what, he, and you know what he was going to say. He says here, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. I think that in this Think of the context of this. I think that in this day and age, if we were trying to start something new and go into a new place, my Lord, I, I know of people who would have put this girl on the elder board and, and made her part of the ch- church team. Because we know, we, know, we know she had influence. Because immediately after this, what they said to her was able to stir up the crowd so much, they got Paul and his team thrown in jail. So, so technically, if he was thinking, if Paul was thinking in the natural, this would have been a great person to include part of the team. 
because she had enough influence to draw people to this group and she was saying the right thing. And she, it seemed like she was saying complimentary things too. Can I tell you that the time that we live in, it is going to require a dependence and an ability to hear the voice of the Spirit clear. Because there'll come people, there'll come people come in who will say the right things and dress the right way, lift their head. They'll even fall down at the right times and have the little usher come and put the cloth on. They'll do it all right. But there's something about them that you've got to be able to sniff out by the Spirit. And if you sniff them out that way, doesn't mean you have to kick them out. It just means you've got to stay away from them a little bit. If peace doesn't lead you, don't be led. Something about this where the enemy, spirit of witchcraft, wants to try and make its way into church. Because that's the power source for everything. That's what, that's what, this is almost what they were trying to do over there that Pastor Jim was talking about, Daniel 3. He was just, he was talking about it, even with the Romans. All you need to do is just bow down and say, Caesar's God, and then go, live, go on your merry way. Everything's going to be fine. It's just that one second, bow down, Caesar's God, move on, do, do whatever it is. You're, you're going to be out in the country somewhere. No one's ever going to know anything. It's going to be, but the enemy would have infiltrated the things of God and tainted what was supposed to be pure and holy. Now, listen, please don't hear this and walk out looking suspicious at everyone else in the room. <laughs> That's not... <laughs> so don't be casting sideward glances at people and, you know, I knew there was something about that. I knew. Pastor Falu, he's always smiling. What's all that smiling all about? What's he really masking, smiling all the time? <laughs> no one's that happy. So this, I'm, not, I'm not talking about, listen, the discerning of spirits is not the gift of suspicions. That's not, that's not a spiritual operation. You understand that? I've studied this. I wrote a book about it. It's not in there. There's no gift of suspicions anywhere. No, it's an inner knowing. And again, it doesn't mean you've got to go stir up the hornet's nest. It just simply means you move away. That's all it means. Because Paul would have left her alone had she left them alone. Did, did you notice? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. Check it out. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Acts. There was no demon hunting team sent out by Jesus to go anywhere. He didn't have to go hunting any demons. Because everywhere he went, they came to him asking for deliverance. So many times I'll go, I'll, I'll go to a different city or go to a different state or go to a different city and someone goes, well, Pastor, do you, do you send, do you, do, you, do you feel like, can you tell how, what, what ruling spirit's over this place? Yeah, I know what ruling spirit's over this place. The church is the ruling spirit over this place. And the reason why anything else is ruling over it is because the church there isn't ruling over it. There's, listen, God's not raising up a people in this end time to just be seeing dark spirits. What would be the point of that? I don't need to get born again and have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of me just to see demons all the time. I already had that before I got born again. I actually did. It's going to be in the new book. <laughs> the ability to see in the Spirit 
is not so you can see what's dark and what's wrong. The ability to see in the Spirit is so that you can see what's light and what's right, so you can remedy what's dark and what's wrong. And we've got to get past this where we just go around looking for demons everywhere. I, I, listen, if you, look, if you look far enough, you'll find demons everywhere because some people brought them in just like we brought our angels in. And what's the point of seeing all that dark if we don't know what the remedy to that is? So Paul here wasn't just upset with her for the sake of being, he was, there was something on the inside of him that was protecting the plan of God. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in the time that you and I live in. He's protecting the plan of God for the church of Jesus Christ in the time that you and I live in. And in order for us to, in order for us to activate that, it requires a sensitivity to the things of the Spirit of God. That's why, again, it's good. Listen, 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 Living Word family. It is good to be a part of a church home just like this, where there is good, sound teaching come in. Vital, because there is safety in this. Something happens when we come together. We're protected this way, you know. Look at this, look at this. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out. And he came out that very hour. So it, so it was immediate, just within the hour, you know. And I also love the fact that Paul didn't have to spend all that time asking him what the, what, what the demon's name was, when did you come in, how long have you been in there, who else is in there with you? Do you prefer a soy latte or just a regular full cream? What's your Facebook, Instagram handle? He didn't have to know any of that. Unnecessary, because Jesus said he's the father of lies anyway, so whatever number he tells you and whatever else he tells you, he's the father of lies. Really, do you want to get your information from the father of lies? If that's what you're basing you casting demons out of anyone on, based on information you get from the father of lies, you're already halfway, you already halfway lost. Why not get your information by the Spirit of God? Why not train your ears so that you can hear what the Spirit of God has to say about a person, by the person? Why, why, not, why not train yourself to know by the Spirit what's in that person that needs help, rather than say, ask a demon about a demon, so that you can cast the demon out? Some of these things we just made up as we went along and then believed it ourselves. Nonsense. You know, I, 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 talk, I talk like that in many places. Sometimes people get upset about that, but the reality is when they, come, when they come argue with me at the end of the service, I probably cast more demons out of people than they have. I was, I was, in, a, I was in a church, I was in a church, I do a lot of pastor's meetings. I, I was in a church one time, this, this, this newer pastor, this younger pastor came up, and he was just, you know, I usually have a couple hundred pastors at, at these meetings, and so he, he came up, he said, well, you know, pastor, he, he said, I, uh, uh, you know, every... Uh, Great revival, great revival in my church, great revival. Every Sunday, the people come down, we cast demons out of them. Great revival. And I didn't really know, so I was like, yeah, well, okay, praise the Lord. Later on, he comes telling me the same thing. Every Sunday, pastor, people come down, we lay a cast the oh, pastor, great revival, great revival, oh, great revival. That's so why he told, he told me this like three times, you know. So come, finally come to find out, he had a, he had a church about, of about like, about, he had a church of about like 50 people. And, and what was happening was that every Sunday he was giving an altar call and the same people were coming down and he was casting the same, he was casting different demons out of the same people. And so I finally asked him, I said, listen, how come, where are all your people get all these demons? You the only one laying hands on them. Maybe they're getting them from you. Maybe if you stop laying hands on them, they wouldn't have so many demons. 
oh wait, oh, then that, and that, that brings me to this other point. And that's the other reason why in the safety of a church, you don't want to be running around to every meeting that comes to town and have any Tom, Dick, or Harry lay hands on you. I'm careful about who gets to lay hands on me. And when I first started doing that, some people thought it was because I didn't believe in the laying on of hands. No, it's because I believe in the laying on of hands that I don't want everyone just lay hands on me because you may have something I don't want. And I guess, and I guess just because of how I look, you know, and, and what age people perceive me to be, and many times because I'm in a meeting and I'm usually on the front row when I'm at a meeting, you know, I'm kind of a prophecy magnet. People all want to try and jump and give me a prophecy and all that kind of thing. And most of the time, they're not even real prophecies anyway. Because it's just them reading me in the spirit, knowing me in the spirit, telling me things I don't need to know. You know, I was at one service and I got up and I preached and everything. Someone came up to me at the end of the service and, the Lord, and he said, the Lord says you called to preach. I said, were you in the service where I was preaching? I don't need you to come tell me the Lord called me to preach. Well, can we lay hands on you and, and, and pray for you? No. Why? Because I outrank you in the spirit. That's why. I asked the Lord about that one time. I said, now, you know, it's, it's a nice thing to say, but it would be good to have some scripture to back it up. And the Lord showed me. Have you noticed that the anointing oil flows downward, don't flow upwards? So I'm careful. I have people lay hands on me, just not everyone. I'm careful about that. You got to be careful about that too. You got to be careful about that too. See, you don't need to. You don't need to walk out of, of. You don't need to walk out of church this Sunday and then be met by some person you don't know that the leadership here don't recognize out in the parking lot, and then, then they, they try and give you some. You don't need any of that kind of prophecy. They got a prophecy to give you. Bring them out front here where one of the pastors are and have them judge it for you. Safety, safety. See, that's what God was trying to do. He was trying to keep the, he was trying to keep the body of believers pure. And, and this little girl with the, with the python spirit, she was working, trying to work her way in there so that she could wrap around, wrap around the, and squeeze the life out of the body right there. That's what she was trying to do. And you got you to gotta know the spirit enough. Because if, if it's just all in your head for you, why not just bow down? And, and do a little bit of, of, of worshipful bowing and then just kind of back away and live. What, I mean, what's the big deal? Everyone else is doing it, you know? But when you understand the significance, the import of what the enemy intends for that, through that, by that, it's more than just a little bow. And in order to know that, that's not just a head thing. Your heart has to understand there is beyond that little action that they want us to, 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 to curtsy into. There is spiritual significance to that. You see, once again, once again, I'm glad. You see, here's the difference between apostles and pastors. Pastors would have told this little girl, come on in, we'll counsel you into wholeness. Apostles said, no, get out of her demon in Jesus' name. That's the that's difference right there. Pastors, pastors would have tried. Can I tell you this? You cannot counsel a demon out of someone. And oh, while we're on that, you cannot medicate a demon out of someone either.
And I think that in the church of Jesus Christ today, we need to come back to a reality of the ministry of the Spirit of God. That's not to say, that's not to say to throw all your medication away. If you, if you have medication and if you, if you need it, take it, whatever. But you better understand that whatever pills you take, that's not the best God has for you. That's not the answer God has for you. That's not all God has for you. And whatever medication you're on, you better understand that God alone can be your healer if you allow Him to. And whatever pills you're taking, that ought not be your source. God God ought be your source. Because once you, once you allow for all that other to be your source, then your thinking goes that way and you need another pill and another pill and another pill and another pill. And if you're, and, 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 and you see, it's, it's a gradual slide. It's a, it's a, we, have to, we have to come back to where we allow the Word and the Spirit of God. Oh, I like saying that. The Word and the Spirit of God ought to rule us to the extent that we can be ruled by the Word and the Spirit. And that's something we all grow into. So in other words, by this time next year, I intend to be more ruled by the Word and more ruled by the Spirit than I am this year. You know, I'm, I'm growing into this. I'm growing into this. But see, see, the, see the subtle way that this little girl was trying to make her way into church. And she was saying everything right at a time when they needed people of prominence saying the right thing. What would the harm be? Let this girl join the team. She's already saying the right thing. Except that had she got in, something would have worked in. She would have then, she would have then had influence over the holy things of the Spirit of God that God wanted to do in this. And we got to get back to understanding and allowing, and again, not suspicion, again, not just, I don't like your hair, none of that. We're not talking about any of that. We're just talking about a knowing by the Spirit of God of what you can allow and what you cannot allow into your life. Verse 19, and when the masters saw that, that, that their hope, oh, here it comes. When the masters saw that their hope for profit was gone, who even knew there was profit to be made in this? Because this, this was a new, new venture that they were, they, were, they were trying to get into. Who even knew that there was money to be made? I guess the, the, these people saw it before the rest of the crowd did and they were like, listen, let's get our girl in there because if our girl in there, we'll be able to move that money around and it'll come back to us just like all her fortune telling's been able to get to us. And when the master saw that the hope for profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Remember what we said, how the religious spirit and the, and the, and the uh, political spirit try and come together and stop the work of God? You see, you see it again here. You see it again here. And they brought them to the magistrates. These men being Jews trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitudes rose up against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods, just for saying no to the one girl. It kind of makes you think, is it possible for a society to turn just because you say no for what seems so simple. Or what seems like you should have a right to say no to. You're probably thinking about a lot of things as I'm saying this. Allow your mind to think with me. And they were turned, the whole thing was turned upside down just because they said no. Now, they were saying no by the Spirit of God, and because they were saying no by the Spirit of God, you can, whenever you say no by the Spirit of God, you can expect for the Spirit of God to cover you with your no. 
I've had to say no. Cost me. I've had to say no. Not out of anything other than if I had said yes, it would have hindered the work of God. But God made it up to me. I've got favor in my life. He's brought me into rooms and, and before people that I would have never made it any other way. Can I tell you, can I tell you that with every no that you, you say by the Spirit of God and with every yes you say by the Spirit of God, there is promotion come for you and protection come for you and increase come for you and destiny come for you. The enemy wants to try and work his way in because the church is the answer or rather the church has the answer that is necessary for this time. So that ought to mean two things to us. One, it's important to be in church. Everyone needs to hear this. Listen, you, your Bible, and a cup of coffee in a coffee shop is not church. It robs you. It robs you of the corporate anointing. It ro- listen, listen clear. It robs you of the corporate anointing. Is that a sign? <laughs> It's like some award show, is it the, the pulpit goes down and the curtains come down and I'm like, no, the security takes me away and you don't see me until I come back again. Is that... <laughs> One that tells you how important the church is. I primarily am called into the church realm. Primarily, that's where I am. And anything that I, some, some are called to Israel, some are called to the world, and I'm, I'm primarily called to, so that's usually where I end up preaching to and preaching about. And in the church of Jesus Christ, more than ever, we must have an overflow of the Spirit of God. I dare say it this way, it isn't enough just to be full anymore, we have to be overfilling and have an overflow of the Spirit of God in us and in our midst and in our gatherings. Now listen, don't read into that. What I'm not saying, an overflow of the Spirit doesn't mean that we've got to run around at every service. An overflow of the Spirit simply means that at every meeting we come into, we come ready to do whatever the Spirit wants to do for that service. It could be a five-hour prayer meeting. It could be a 45-minute teaching. It could be a three-hour prayer meeting. It doesn't make a difference. Whatever the Spirit wants, then you all no, I've said this before that really when we come to church, the Lord told me one time that it is a school of the Spirit. Whenever we come to church, it is a school of the Spirit. Why? Because when we come to church, we're learning to yield to the Spirit of God. And sometimes He wants us running around. Sometimes He wants us to just do nothing. Just, sometimes He wants us to just sit in silence and soak in His presence. And whatever it is He wants, we've got to have that, but you can only have that in a corporate experience right here. And this corporate experience right here will set the tone for how you have church at home on your own with a cup of coffee and your Bible. It's necessary. It isn't just a nice thing to do anymore. It's part of our end time survival. Survival. 